Let's open our Bibles once again to the little letter of Jude right before the book of Revelation. Jude, there's only one chapter, but it is taking us a while to get through this one chapter. Jude, starting at verse 17, we read these words. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, In the last time, there will be mockers following after their own lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. For the last few weeks, we have been studying These words, this passage, this section by Jude, and we have discovered that these are the words of a shepherd, a passionate shepherd, passionate for his flock, concerned for their spiritual welfare, a loving shepherd who cares for his flock. Jude is concerned about the people of his church because this church has been infiltrated. Infiltrated by false teachers, apostates, men who once claimed to embrace biblical Christianity but have rejected it now and distorted it. And Jude knows that his beloved flock, they're in danger of being negatively influenced by these men. And so after spending the bulk of his letter explaining how corrupt and ungodly false teachers really are, beginning with verse 17, Jude starts to explain to this church what they can do to protect themselves from being corrupted, from being negatively influenced by false teachers and their errant teaching. In other words, he tells them that they have certain responsibilities. There are certain things that they can do if they're going to be successful in resisting the apostates in their midst. And as we've discovered from our recent studies, There are actually two primary responsibilities that Jude gives these believers that will enable them to resist the false teachers. The first responsibility that they have and that we have is to remember the words of the apostles. He says that in verses 17 and 18. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what they were saying to you, he says in verse 18. The last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. Now, the apostles predicted the coming, Jude says, of these ungodly mockers of the truth. They are scoffers of the truth. They ridicule the truth. They laugh at it. Now, how will remembering that the apostles said this would happen, how will that help them to resist false teachers? That's the question we need to ask. Jude says, remember that the apostles, that would be Paul and Peter and John and the others, when they taught, they said false teachers like this are coming and they're, they're here. Well, how did they help us to resist false teaching? Two ways. First, it reminds us that God is sovereign, that God is totally in control of the situation, that nothing's gone uh, out of whack. He knew, God knew that the mockers would come, and so he warned the church before it happened so that they would not be shaken by this. No one should be shaken by this. No one should feel like the truth is really not the truth because people ridicule it. God said this would happen. Secondly, knowing that God predicted the arrival of men who would mock the truth absolutely affirms the trustworthiness of Scripture. 
See, by their mocking of the truth, these scoffers actually validate the very scriptures they ridicule because their mocking is a fulfillment of scripture. That really ought to strengthen our faith in the word of God because it's an important argument. Do you realize there are no other religious systems that I'm aware of that are laughed at and scorned like biblical Christianity? Nobody, nobody makes fun of other religions. This is, a, this is an age in which tolerance rules the day. Nobody really laughs at other religious systems. But that is not the case with biblical Christianity. It is constantly ridiculed as outdated, unscientific, narrow-minded, too restricted, and on and on it goes. But these ridicules only support the accuracy of Scripture because the Scriptures predict that this would be a reality. It's kind of an ironic argument. So the first responsibility, Jude says, that we have that will enable us to resist false teachers is to remind ourselves that the apostles said this would happen. The apostles said that these mocking men would come. All this would take place. The second responsibility that Jude gives us, which we began to look at last week, is this, not only are we to remember the words of the apostles, but we are to maintain a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. That will go a long way to protecting you from false teachers. Those who are growing in their faith, walking in fellowship with Christ, are protected from the deceitfulness of false teaching. And so in verses 20 and 21, Jude tells us how to maintain this healthy relationship with Christ. But he does it in a very interesting way. He mentions several spiritual disciplines in these two verses. He speaks, for example, in verse 20 about building yourselves up on your most holy faith. That's a, that's a spiritual discipline. He says at the end of verse 20, praying in the Holy Spirit. That's another spiritual discipline. He says in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. That's another spiritual discipline. He also says that we are to wait anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. That's another spiritual discipline. However, the way that the Greek text words this, there is actually one command in these two verses, just one command. That is the statement at the beginning of verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That is actually the only command in these two verses. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And all the other spiritual disciplines, the building up, the praying, the waiting, describe how we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. They're all supportive. They're all descriptive. In other words, the way that we maintain a strong relationship with Jesus Christ is by keeping ourselves in the love of God, and the way we keep ourselves in his love is by building ourselves up in the faith, praying in the spirit, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing then that we need to nail down and understand is what does it mean for us to keep ourselves in the love of God? Last week we saw that, first of all, what it cannot mean, what it can't possibly mean. It can't possibly mean that we need to do anything to make God love us. God already loves us. There's nothing we can do to merit his love. So Jude can't be saying, do something to have God love you. God already loves us. Nor can it mean that we need to do anything to keep God loving us. As if we need to keep ourselves saved. As if we need to make sure our behavior is all right so God keeps loving us. God's love for us is unconditional. 
unconditional regardless of our behavior. That's never an encouragement to sin, but God's character will continue to love us whether we disobey him or not. So God's love for us never changes and therefore our salvation never changes. It is eternal. It also doesn't appear that Jude is commanding us to keep ourselves in love with God. That is an interpretation of this. I don't think it's the right interpretation. Now, that is, let me just say that is a biblical truth. We are to keep, in, keep ourselves in love with the Lord. I just don't think that's the truth that's taught here. I don't think it's the truth that's taught here. And the reason I say this is that Jude probably is telling us, well, not probably, I believe he's telling us not to, to keep ourselves in love with the Lord, but to keep ourselves in the love of God in the sense that we are to be conscious of God's love. And let me tell you why I believe that's what he's, he's saying. Throughout this letter, Jude mentioned several spiritual endowments that God has bestowed upon us. He starts off the letter by speaking of his love for us, his power to keep us saved. He speaks of his mercy in verse 21. And so in, in light of, of Jude mentioning these other spiritual endowments, these things that God bestows upon us, it seems more likely that he is referring here in verse 21 once again to one of God's endowments rather than us loving him, him loving us, his love for us rather than our love for him. I think that is more consistent with the language that Jude uses in this letter. So, If Jude isn't telling us to do anything to make or keep God loving us, and he's not referring to our love for God, then, as I said, it seems best to understand the statement as a command to always keep ourselves conscious of God's love for us. That is to say, we are always to be mindful, always to be alert, alert to the truth that God really does love us. We are to make a conscious effort to keep that in the forefront of our mind. So how do we do this? How can we be always conscious of God's love for us? What can we do that will help us to do that? Because most of us live very fast-paced lives. We live in a busy world. There are busy days and busy nights, and it's very easy in the midst of the busyness that we have to fail even to to think of the Lord throughout the day and to think of him loving us. It's very easy to just do all of your activities and then realize, oh, yeah, I haven't even thought hardly about the Lord and certainly not about him loving us. Now, to remedy this busyness that can so easily crowd out a consciousness of God's love for us, Jude gives us three ways to be mindful of the love of God. And that's what we want to look at tonight. Three ways to be mindful of the love of God. Remember, as you are mindful of God's love, you will be protecting yourselves from false teachers because you will be focusing on the gospel of grace. He's talking about the love of God in Christ, not that God just loves us generally, but the love of God in Christ. The more you can keep that in mind, the more you will be protected from false teachers who always attack the gospel of Christ and ultimately the true love of God. So, Three ways to be mindful of God's love for us. The first way is this, by building ourselves up in the faith. That's what Jude says at the beginning of verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Now, what does Jude mean by these words? Well, the New Testament writers, when they use the term building or building up, they use it in reference to 
believers in, in Christ growing in him, growing stronger in the Lord, becoming more mature, strengthening in the Lord. In other words, it refers to developing spiritual growth, spiritual maturity and, and development. And let me just show you how this is used in Scripture. For example, in Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, notice, notice how the Apostle Paul uses this. Colossians chapter 2. In verses 6 and 7, Paul says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. He says, You have received Christ, now grow in him, be built up in him. That's talking about spiritual growth, like, like a building going up. So you go up in terms of maturity. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul speaks of the same thing, only he gets a little more specific here. Ephesians 4, starting at verse 11, speaking of Christ, he gave some, meaning he gave some to the church as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. So the Lord has given to his church certain gifted men. Why? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, notice this, Unto the building up of the body of Christ. He's not talking about numerical growth in the church. He's talking about spiritual growth. As the word of God goes forth and people begin to receive it, they get equipped for service. As they serve one another, they build each other up in the body of Christ. The thought is edify, build up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, same, same thought. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 11, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you are also doing, says the apostle. So in telling us to build ourselves up, Jude is telling us that we are responsible to grow spiritually. But how do we do that? Well, notice that Jude tells us that we have a foundation upon which to build ourselves up in Christ. He calls it your most Holy faith. Now understand, Jude is not referring to your personal faith. He's not referring to trusting Christ for salvation or trusting him for anything else. But he's referring to, there's a definite article, the faith. The faith. When the Bible says the faith, it means the body of sound doctrine. What we call the New Testament. He actually mentioned this in verse 3. He calls it, he tells us to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all handed down to the saints. That is the gospel truth. This is the faith once and for all given to God's people. In other words, we build ourselves and we build our lives upon the firm foundation of the word of God. It's what Jude is teaching. So what he's telling us is this. If we want to be conscious of God's love for us in Christ, and that is the way that we are protected from false teachers by maintaining a healthy relationship with the Lord The way to do that is to grow up spiritually, to grow strong spiritually. And the way we do this is by growing in our understanding of God's word. We build our lives upon the word of God. We take it in. Let me show you a few passages. Acts chapter 20. Paul is telling the elders from the church at Ephesus that he's taught them for three years. They'll see his face no more. He's giving them instruction what to do. False teachers, he said, will come into the church. 
They'll pull disciples after themselves. They'll pull them away. What does he tell them to do? Acts 20, verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Notice this, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It is the word of God, folks, that builds us up spiritually. You will never grow spiritually unless you take in the word of God. Unless you personally take in the word of God on a regular basis, not just Sunday after Sunday, but every day to fill your mind and heart with God's word. Why? Because the word of God reveals the mind of God. And as you continue to take it in, you become more and more like Christ in godly character. And the more you are like Christ, the more you will be aware and alert that God loves you. In Christ and what he's done for you in Christ. It is the doctrine of the word of God, the faith once and for all delivered to the saints that continues to remind us of how much God loves us and all that he's done for us in Christ. That's why it's so important. Let's go back to that Ephesians 4 passage. And I want to comment on this. Ephesians chapter 4. Where Paul says, as we mentioned in verses 11 and 12, that he gave to the church, certain leaders, certain leaders who will teach the word of God. And that builds the church up and that equips the church. And notice the results. Verse 14. As a result, the apostle says, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men by craftiness in deceitful scheming what he's saying is that when you are equipped by teachers in churches that's where god's ordained pattern when you're in a church that teaches the bible you will be equipped and strengthened and built up therefore you will not be like a little child who tends to believe everything that an adult tells them you will not be susceptible to false teachers who come along and tell you things paul calls it the winds every every wind of of doctrine the trickery of men craftiness in deceitful scheming that's false teaching this is a very important truth and i may be preaching to the choir here but i think it's important that you know how significant it is that you be a part of a church that teaches doctrine that's almost almost archaic these days. You need to be a part of a church that teaches doctrine so you'll be equipped and built up in Christ and protected from every wind of doctrine that threatens to entice you. When Christians are not in a church where doctrine is is taught, you know what? They don't have a clue. They do not know how to discern truth from error. And those, and there are many in our day and age who are in feel-good, seeker-sensitive churches that are so wishy-washy when it comes to what they believe that they will believe, the people will believe almost anything that comes along, even heresy. I mean, listen, it's so bad that I know people in seeker-sensitive churches that they don't even know they're in seeker-sensitive churches. That's how bad it is. I know of one evangelical church that is just like this, wishy-washy. The church in the last few years, not a church in our area, but it is an evangelical church that has embraced seeker-sensitive thinking, catering to the, the, the whims of people just to get more people in the church. And now they've reached a point where one of their main teachers, one of their main Sunday school teachers, 
is teaching that baptism is necessary for salvation. This is an evangelical church. That baptism is necessary for salvation. Not only is he teaching this, he's writing the material that others are teaching. This is a church that has ignored doctrine for so long that when someone teaches them such a wicked, heretical doctrine as salvation by baptism, they just embrace it. They just embrace it. They haven't kept themselves aware of God's love for them in Christ because they have ignored the doctrine of the Word of God, which tells us about God's love for us in Christ. It tells us of the gospel of grace. So this is very, very important. If you know of a Christian who's not tied in with a church that really teaches the Bible, you ought to tell them to get in a church that teaches God's word. That's what protects them. Otherwise, they're just fair game. Every wind of doctrine. And it's a very sad situation of this church that I'm aware of. And the people are sitting there week after week, and that's what they're going to be taught. That's what they are being taught. And so the first way that Jude tells us to be mindful of God's love is by, number one, building ourselves up in the faith. We do that by taking in the word of God. Second way he tells us to be mindful of God's love is by praying in the Holy Spirit. That's what he says, the next phrase, the last phrase of verse 20, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, all of us understand what it means to pray. It simply means to speak to God. That's what praying is. But Question is, what does Jude mean by praying in the Holy Spirit? Well, let me say right up front, this has absolutely nothing to do with speaking in tongues in the sense that it is considered by some a prayer language. He's not talking about that. There is nothing in the context to indicate that this is what Jude had in mind. There's nothing here that talks about spiritual gifts. There's nothing here that talks about tongues. When Jude tells us to pray in the Spirit, he simply means pray according to the will of the Holy Spirit. It's not very different than when Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name. What does it mean to ask in in Christ's name? It means to pray and ask for those things that you know that Jesus would ask for, because it is in conformity to his will. So likewise, to pray in the Spirit means to pray according to the will of the Holy Spirit. That is to say, That Judah saying, ask the Father for those things that the Holy Spirit wants you to ask him. And how would you possibly know what the Holy Spirit wants you to ask the Father in your prayers? Well, he wants you to ask for those things that are in keeping with his will. How would you know his will? His will is revealed to us in the word of God. This is the voice of the Holy Spirit. What the Bible says, that is the will of the Holy Spirit. Listen, every time you pray for something that the Bible says is God's will for you, you are praying in the Spirit because you are praying according to the Holy Spirit's will. This is not mysterious. This is not mystical. I find that one of the best ways to pray in the Spirit is after reading a portion of Scripture, pray for what you have read to become a reality in your life. Let me give you some examples and illustrations of this. I've just randomly chosen these passages of Scripture just so you have uh, an idea of a, a pattern of how to do this. Let's look at 1 John, for example. 1 John chapter 3. This is praying in the Spirit. Let's say in your devotions you are reading 1 John and you come across this passage. As I said, 
There's nothing deeper than I've just chosen a few passages to give you an example and some illustrations of, of how to do this. First, John, let's say you're reading verses 14 through 18. You read this in the morning in your devotions. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Now, you read that. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? To pray in the Spirit means something like this. You begin then to ask God to help you to demonstrate love towards others like he's talking about here, in some very concrete, some very tangible ways. You ask the Lord also for wisdom, for you to know specifically what you can do. You cry out, Lord, my heart is sometimes cold and I I don't love the brethren like I should. Help me to love people. Show me, give me wisdom. Who can I help? What can I do for them? Who's hurting in our church fellowship That I can do something. Give me wisdom. And you ask him to to build into your heart a heart of compassion for others. A heart that is sensitive to the needs of others. And the ability to to love people as he loves them. And just along those lines, you may have to repent and confess of your, your lack of love, your coldness, your insensitivity. And you are asking the Lord to change you and help you to love others. Folks, that's praying in the Spirit. That is precisely what the Holy Spirit wants you to pray For, because this is his will revealed in his word. Let me give you another example. Psalm 66. Once again, I I just pulled these at at random. There is no uh, other message than just that these uh, illustrate what we're talking about. Psalm 66. You could have pulled, I could have pulled really any psalm that speaks along these lines but i just use this as an example shout joyfully verse one to god all the earth sing the glory of his name make his praise glorious say to god how awesome are your works because of the greatness of your power your enemies will give feigned obedience to you all the earth will worship you and so forth and will sing praises to you and they'll sing praises to your name now it's very easy in your devotions to just read this and then just just move on But have you ever thought of just stopping there and starting to praise God and beginning to give him praise for his awesome works? Whatever works uh, come to your mind, whatever works you know that God has done, creation and your salvation and other things in in your life, have you ever thought of singing to him? That's right, right, right here. You sing to him. But even beyond that, you can begin to pray in the spirit by asking the Lord to help you to focus on him when you're singing in church. Maybe you get distracted in church. Maybe you tend to look around and see who's in front of you or who's around you. This would be a good opportunity to start praying and asking the Lord that when you come to church on Sundays, you think about the words that you're singing that your worship would be pure, that your heart would be right with him, and that he would enable you to really enter into joyful worship as you sing unto his 
glorious name. Folks, that is praying in the Spirit. You don't have to wonder if it is. It is because it's praying according to what His Word has said. Let me give you another example. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Notice the richness of this passage here. This is actually a passage about prayer, or it actually is a prayer, I should say. This is how Paul prayed for those at this church, starting in verse 9. For this reason, he said also, since the day we heard of it, he means of their conversion, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Wow, that was how Paul prayed for that church. You read that, then you begin to go through this phrase by phrase, and you pray like this for yourself. You pray like this for yourself, and you pray like this for others. You pray to be filled with the knowledge of His will. Lord, fill me with with Your Word. Help me to learn Your Word. Help me to know what Your Word says, because that's Your will. You pray to have wisdom and to have understanding knowing how to apply the word to your individual situations. We don't just take in doctrine for doctrine's sake. We want to apply it. So that's what he means to when he says, I pray that you have wisdom and understanding. That is how to apply scripture. You pray that you might walk in a manner that is worthy of Christ. Lord, help me to be consistent at work, consistent in my um, Life with my family, help me to to walk in a manner that's worthy of you, the way I speak to people, the way I handle business, the way everything. Then to increase in the knowledge of God, Paul said, to be strengthened by his power. Lord, I'm weak. I need your strength for steadfastness. I, I tend to not want to persevere, to give up. Lord, help me to be steadfast and then patience with others and, and joyful. And I want a heart, Lord, that is thankful for your mercy and grace in Christ. I'm not thankful. Help me to have more gratitude towards you. And, and that's how you pray. That, folks, is praying in the Spirit. Those are the things we ought to be praying for. Listen, when you pray like this and you line up your request with the Spirit of God, you can't help but be conscious of how much God loves you because you are filling your mind with the truths, His truths, and praying for them to become a reality in your life. And when you do this, by building yourselves up on an understanding of the Bible and by praying biblical truths, we are constantly forced to focus on God's great love for us in Christ. And in doing that, we protect ourselves from false teachers who want to turn us away from God's love and from his grace for a message that denies and distorts the gospel. So Jude has given us two ways to be mindful of God's love. Number one, by building ourselves up in the faith. Fill your mind with the truths of Scripture. Two, praying In the Spirit, once again, praying for those things that are biblical truths. But there is a third way, tells us, to be mindful of God's Word, and that is found at the end of verse 21, by waiting for the mercy of Jesus Christ. He says, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ 
to eternal life. Now, what is he talking about? Judas already told us that if we want to be aware of God's love, we need to be growing spiritually and praying according to the will of God. Now he tells us that we need to be waiting for the mercy of Jesus Christ. What does this mean, though? Well, as believers, we've already experienced his mercy in Christ, haven't we, when we were saved? When we trusted Christ, we experienced the grace of God and the mercy of God. So he can't be talking about initial salvation. The words that are translated waiting, at least in my version, waiting anxiously might give the impression that there's a nervousness to this. Uh, There's an anxiety. That's not really the best translation, waiting anxiously. Like, I don't want it to happen. I'm anxious about this. That's not the thought here at all. The thought here is that of eagerly looking forward to something or to waiting for something with expectancy, with a, with a joyful expectancy. It's not an anxiety. It's something you're looking forward to. So what Jude is telling us then, we are to look forward to what? To the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Now, as I said, when we were saved, we experienced his mercy of forgiving us of our sins and granting us eternal life. That's a done deal. Already happened. But what Jude is referring to is the fullness of experiencing God's mercy by enjoying eternal life in the presence of Jesus Christ. In other words, it is the fullness of our salvation. Yes, we have experienced mercy, but there's more to come. When the Lord takes us home to heaven and we're in his presence, that is the greatest evidence of his mercy, that sinners like us will get to spend eternity with him. Eternal life does begin the moment you trust Christ, but there is a fullness of it. We have not experienced the fullness of eternal life. We still struggle with sin down here. But we will experience the, the fullness of mercy, the fullness of eternal life when the Lord takes us with him to heaven. That's the mercy that he's talking about, of taking us to glory. And you know what? It is all based on his love because it is based on the atonement of Jesus Christ in dying for our sins. So what Jude is telling us to do to keep ourselves mindful of God's love is to keep looking for Christ's return for us. I believe he's talking about the rapture of the church, not the second coming at the end of the tribulation. He's telling us to keep looking with expectancy that Christ could come at any time to take us home to glory. This is very similar to what Paul said in Titus chapter 2. Do you know this wonderful statement? Titus chapter 2 by, by Paul, verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. It's something we ought to be looking for now. This is not looking for the tribulation and then Christ returns. This is looking now. This is imminency. could happen at any moment. This is the blessed hope that we have, that Christ will come back for us and take us home with him to heaven. Are you waiting for this? Are you mindful of this? I find that so often I'm not. I know the doctrine of the rapture. I know the doctrine of the second coming. But I I need to be reminded of this. This was a great reminder to study this. It is waiting for this, for Christ to come for us. We are constantly reminded that our salvation is only based on his precious work on the cross for us, which is based on his love. And that's Jude's point. 
We aren't going to heaven, are we, because of anything that we've done. Salvation now and in the future is based only on the love of God in Christ Jesus. Notice what Paul said about this to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, these people were saved out of paganism, but what a glorious salvation they had because their, their life was so radically changed. Verse 9 of chapter 1. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. And notice this. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. The Thessalonians were eagerly waiting for the son of God to come back for them. Waiting for Christ to return is a reminder that he rescues us from God's eternal wrath. How much do you think about Christ's return for you? It could be today. It could be before this service closes. This ought to be something constantly on our minds because it serves as a wonderful reminder that the only reason we're going to go to heaven is because God loves us and has provided for our salvation. And when you focus on that, you will be mindful of the love of God. So let's put this all together. If you want God's grace, Jude says, to resist the influence of false Teachers who would, by design and intent, pull you away from the gospel into error, then you need to develop a consciousness of God's love for you in Christ. And the way you develop this consciousness of God's love is by, number one, growing stronger spiritually by taking in the word of God. So will you commit yourself to doing that? Will you take in, if you're not regularly reading the Bible and studying it, will you commit yourself to doing that? Otherwise, you're vulnerable. Number two, by praying in the spirit, by praying that is according to the will of God. Will you start that when you have your quiet time reading a portion of scripture and praying it back to the Lord for those truths to be a reality in your life? Number three, by waiting eagerly with the consciousness of Christ breaking through at any time coming for us, eagerly waiting For the Lord to express his great mercy by taking us to glory so that we'll enter into the fullness of eternal life based on his atoning death. In other words, will you be thinking with an attitude of Lord today? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. If you take these truths to heart, you'll protect yourself from being vulnerable to any false teacher and any false teaching. It's possible, though. It's possible that someone here has never experienced the love of God in Christ for salvation. I say to you, John 3:16 in paraphrase form, for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus Christ to die for ungodly sinners like us. So that if you trust Christ alone for your salvation and that is the key, trusting him alone for your salvation, he will give you eternal life. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, these are indeed powerful truths, truths that transform our lives if we'll but receive them. I pray for every believer here, Lord, that we will keep ourselves conscious of your love for us by doing the very things that Jude tells us to do. 
Lord, help us to take in the word of God regularly, to love it, to when, when we don't feel like reading the Bible, help us to do it anyway. I pray you'll help us to pray in the spirit. I pray, Lord, you will help us to begin to pray back your word to you and glean from the scriptures these truths that need to be applied in terms of a prayer for you to make this a reality in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to wait for your return for us, to be thinking about this more than a doctrine. May it be a doctrine that grips our hearts that at any time you can come for us. Lord, it is a blessed hope. It is a blessed hope. And the Thessalonians were waiting for your return. Help us to wait for your return. Jude tells us to do that. And I pray that that would be the case so that we would be thinking about what marvelous mercy and grace it is that sinners like us can be with the holy God of the ages. Amazing. Lord, I pray for those who may not know you, that they would see the marvelous grace and love that you've revealed in Christ and the cross, and they would come in repentance, in brokenness before you, and they would trust the Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.